0: It's Friday, March 10th. Today's WBFO Brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay
1: Moran. Family, friends, and the community came together yesterday at a wake to remember Buffalo firefighter Jason Arno, who passed away last week in a Main Street fire. Buffalo Fire Commissioner William Romaldo says it's been a tough week for the entire Buffalo Fire Department and members of Arno's Engine Number 2, are taking part in grief counseling. Believe it or not, most of them just want to get, get back to work. I mean, that's the way they plan a, a best or a tribute to Jason is, just, you know, getting back to work and carrying on the work that he was doing for this day. Later today, Arno will be laid to rest at Forest Lawn Cemetery following a 10 a.m. funeral mass at St. Joseph's Cathedral in downtown Buffalo. Many city streets will be closed during the proceedings. Complete coverage of the procession throughout the morning and into the early afternoon can be found at WBFO.org. The downtown central library, starting today, will reduce its weekday hours and will be open to the public only from 9 until 3 until further notice. In a statement, Buffalo and Erie County Public Library Director John Spears says the move is to, quote, safeguard library patrons and staff. There have been an increasing number of incidents at the facility involving patrons of all ages, but, quote, especially youth. Spears says the move is temporary, quote, until a permanent strategy will allow for a return. To our normal hours, organizations which utilize the Central Library's meeting rooms are not expected to be impacted, though they will be contacted regarding their use. A 39-year-old man is being charged in connection with a January murder on East Ferry Street. Lewis Goforth was taken into custody and charged with murder in the second degree in the shooting death of 39-year-old Mario Sadler of Buffalo. Northeast District officers responded to the 200 block of East Ferry Street in the early morning of January 22nd to find Sadler suffering from gunshot wounds. He was declared dead at the scene. And Attorney General Letitia James says a federal judge has ruled in favor of her lawsuit against two conspiracy theorists who tried to suppress black voters. James says Jacob Wall and Jack Bergman acted behind Project 1599, which she calls a sham organization to conduct a robocall campaign to threaten and harass black communities. Well, last night, conservative commentator Michael Knowles spoke at the University of Buffalo, despite calls from students, alum, and staff to cancel the event. WBFO's Emily Watkins spoke with managing editor of the UB Spectrum, Grant Ashley, during the protest about the security measures. And atmosphere on campus
2: so to start tell me a little bit about where you are on campus what you're seeing what you're hearing what's going on tonight
3: there were hundreds of people a lot of them were ub students protesting the event the line of people trying to get in stretched all the way at least a quarter mile they turned away a lot of people we saw at least one person get taken into custody
2: it sounds like a really tense situation there
3: yes It is. I know security ejected a couple uh, trans of race activists who made it into the speech and were trying to protest from inside. And it's actually less tense than the uh, last speaker. Young Americans for Freedom invited to campus. That was Alan West last spring. He gave a speech titled America is Not Racist. And I don't think administrators or police or even YAF expected that one to get rowdy.
2: Tell me a little bit more about the security situation there. And what have we seen? security Do There are
3: multiple university police units at the speech. Last year, there were only 10 officers, so they've definitely increased their security presence. Young Americans for Freedom also spent at least $2,000 on their own private security for the event.
2: From your knowledge as a reporter on UB's campus, has there been any history of violence? And do you think that that is part of the reason these officers are here? So like I said,
3: there was a large Student protest after YAF invited a former congressman Alan West. So at that event, you know, university police escorted Alan West out, and then about fifty to one hundred students chased several YAF student organizers. And one of them hid in a bathroom. The other two kept running. Uh, one of them was also allegedly kicked in the groin and punched in the back by a protester. University police were unable to substantiate that with, or unable to identify a suspect with video evidence. Last year, there were also several messages made to Yik Yak threatening violence against student protesters. But I, UB is also a very apolitical campus, generally. Like, there's not a lot of protest. There's not a lot of activism. So when Alan West happened, we were all kind of surprised. So like, you know, that came together the day of, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a ticketed event because they didn't expect that many people to show up. So, you know, UB's kind of political once a year. And it's when Young Americans for Freedom invites their speaker.
2: After Alan West, did UB change its policies at all? regarding these types of talks?
3: Yes. So one of the biggest changes is that student organizations now have to come up with a security plan alongside university police. UB also strengthened its policy so that it can have more oversight over students' logistical plans for events. And that includes, like, you know, where they're going to host them, ticketing procedures, attendance management. Have any students you talked to expressed concern for their safety tonight? You know, a lot of the discourse going around campus was, if you feel safe, come protest. If you don't
1: feel safe, stay home. Because so I think a lot of the people who are out tonight are people who felt safe protesting. That is Grant Ashley of the UB Spectrum in conversation with WBFO's Emily Watkins this morning. For
4: Theater Talk on WBFO, I'm Anthony Chase.
0: And I'm Peter Hall.
4: And, well, back to Theater of Youth at long last. Uh, for Secret Soldiers, which is the story of women during the Civil War who dressed as men in order to get a soldier's paycheck.
0: Which was quite substantial in a time when people might earn a dollar or two a week doing menial labor. You got a $152 signing bonus? Yeah.
4: That's a lot of money. A good deal, yeah. Wendy Lament, the playwright, was in town to see it, and it's quite provocative, and it's for ages eight. Plus, and it invites a lot of questions about the lives of these women, which are, of course, not addressed in a children's play.
0: What I liked about Soldiers in Disguise was a fair amount of audience participation, which was fun. We all get to get sworn in and then weigh in on the big moral dilemma that the play poses. And I thought audience participation, uh-oh, but it was not painful. It was fun.
4: It was. And an interesting and for, for many unfamiliar part of American history, and then for something completely different, uh, Duvill's Cabanucchi Theatre is doing the long-anticipated comedy, <laughs> The Play That Goes Wrong. Let me say that people had a very good time, and perhaps that should be the last of the discussion. But um, Well, now, hold
0: on. I saw it, but, but I've been telling people before, if you love Noises Off, you'll
4: love The Play That Goes Wrong. You know, Noises Off, which is a Michael Frayn comedy, also backstage, also a play where things go wrong, but because of the relationships between the characters. In this, there's just mindless mayhem. Uh, look at it this way I recognize that the people sitting around me were having a marvelous time. Laughter all round, huge ovation, applauding those actors for doing a yeoman's job of acting out all of that physical comedy. Uh, you are talking to someone who, um, as a child, was not allowed to watch The Three Stooges. <laughs> And I, I, and I still don't find that funny. And I, I think that it, I think it would be fair to say that from the description of the show, you know whether or not this is the kind of thing that's going to appeal to you. And that's always true uh, on this occasion. Bravo for the performances. But I think we can
0: both agree that the character played by Alex Watts, who's who's basically a backstage hand who suddenly has to take on the role of the lead female reading the script But after a while, starts to enjoy this
4: (laughs) pretty soon. Yeah, she she did uh, tickle a couple of chuckles out of me, particularly when she realizes that the story is romantic. And then she is into it and she wants, yes, motivated, motivated. And I did find her funny. People are loving it and they do have a bar. And under the circumstances, I think it would help. (laughs) and uh, they
0: certainly uh, tapped a lot of the great comedy actors in Buffalo, Uh, with one exception,
4: uh, they weren't able to get hold of Kevin Craig, who's back in town. Doing another kind of comedy or not, Every Brilliant Thing, that's uh, Second Generation down at the Smith Theatre, which is arranged in the round very effectively, Charmaine Chi directing this one-person show. The plot is described as being about a man who has a seven-year-old boy begins to make a list of everything worth living for, for a mother who has suicidal depression. But that's not really what it's about. That's just where it starts. What it's about is, as an adult, he recognizes that that strategy was naive. And what he does not recognize is that he thinks that he has escaped the impact of being raised in a household with a suicidally depressed mother. And he drops little clues for us about, you know, please don't think I had a terrible child or I had a wonderful childhood. And then he would says, but sometimes I'd get to school and my lunchbox would be empty. And then he'll drop little things like, did you know that the children of depressed mothers, we're terrified by happiness because we're afraid that this is the mania that precedes the crash. And he follows his life through love and then through divorce. And as the wife who adores him says, you, you, you need some help. And he's, he rejects this absolutely. And I've also seen the play described as being emotionally powerful, which is true. But the emotion does not come from the place you think. It comes from our awareness that he's trying to deflect that emotion at every turn. Every time something bad happens, he tries to puncture it with comedy. And most every time there's something emotionally powerful, he deflects it, deflects it. And we realize he's doing this with everything about his life. And that is what he's got to cope with. Artfully done, Kevin Craig is a marvelous actor, and Charmaine Chi turns out to be a pretty good director.
0: Yeah. If you know Charmaine Chi's brand of humor, I sensed the unseen hand of Charmaine Chi at many, many quarters. So... Well, it seems like theaters all across Western New York are in a hot hurry to get their shows wrapped up before Easter, so there are plenty
4: of opportunities out there. Well, you know, see you at the Broadway market. <laughs> For a Theatre Talk on WBFO, I'm Peter Hall. And I'm Anthony Chase. Be sure to
0: like or subscribe You can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review, too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.